So we're reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 4, Chapter 21, starting with verse number 6. Correct? Right there. Oma Jnana Timarandasya Gyananjana Shalakaya Chakshurun Militam Yena Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha Both the important uh, citizens and the common citizens welcomed the king very heartedly and he also bestowed upon them their desired blessings. So, oh, so we're reading um, the instruction. Well, yes, this is... We're not up to the instructions yet, but in this chapter, uh, it talks about uh, Maharaj Pritsu and he's uh, meeting the citizens and then he's giving instructions to them now that uh, everything is uh, peaceful and he's established as the king. And the purport Prabhupada writes that in such dealings, a responsible monarch is better than a so-called democratic government in which no one is responsible to mitigate the grievances of the citizens who are unable to personally meet the supreme executive head. In a responsible monarchy, the, the citizens had no grievances against the government, and even if they did, they could approach the king directly for immediate satisfaction. So yes, of course, nowadays, oh, Andy, you're in one piece? <laughs> How was your trip? <laughs> we'll have to hear about it. Andy went to uh, India for five weeks? Yeah, wow, amazing. And he went uh, the economy route. Yes, yes. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> Air China South and all that, yes. <laughs> so I was thinking about this because it's kind of funny. In one sense, I work for the government and one of my jobs is, my job is basically what Prabhupada is saying here to uh, mitigate grievances of the, of the citizens. Not, yeah, yeah. Mine also with the employees uh, who are unable to personally meet the executive head. So I was saying that's <laughs> that actually is my job. But it's certainly not as effective as if you could approach the king directly because he can, you know, snap his finger and uh, doesn't have to go through 20 uh, layers of red tape as in the federal government <laughs> to get anything done, uh, even to acquire a light bulb or something like that. <laughs> Uh, so it's so it is a little different, and and it's um, it's kind of hard to imagine this. I guess as Prabhupada writes here, because you could think, "There's gosh, there's so many citizens. How could he meet everyone?" But then he, Prabhupada writes that they didn't have generally they didn't have grievances, but if they did, they could uh, approach him directly. Mm. Can anyone think of any examples of that uh, in the shastra? Someone approaching a king directly? Yes, Boo. Uh, microphone? Uh, a Brahmana approaching the king. Yeah, like that. Like uh, like this, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that he lost his son. And oh. Arjuna and Krishna go to the Mahavishnu and then get there. Very good. Yeah, like what gives? It's not supposed to happen, right? God, there's air conditioners right on my head. <laughs> I know, that's why you have it on, right? Yeah. Yes, uh, Jeeva. Hare Krishna. So there was 
a citizen who approached Yudhishthira Maharaj and Yudhishthira Maharaj was engaged in his, you know, prescribed duties, the regulated principles again, like the puja and all that stuff, like the worship. And uh, he said, can you come tomorrow? And when Bhima heard that, he actually went and rang the bell saying that, you know, Yudhishthira Maharaj is one over the death personified because he's sure that he will live tomorrow to make a decision. So Yudhishthira ah. Maharaj immediately finished his services and attended to the Brahmana Achha. who had come for the you know, request, <laughs> Interesting. the conflict. Yeah. Well, that brings up like a whole different philosophical point, isn't it? Yes. That we, uh, we live our lives as if there's always will be a tomorrow because we're so used to it. There's always is a tomorrow so far, right? But one day there won't be, right? Uh, and because we're so used to it, uh, I was just listening to it talk about this, then we get a great shock when we go to the doctor and he or she says, you have such and such amount of time left. And because it, it usually, even for a devotee, at least at first, it creates kind of a terror in the heart because our whole, we realize, we, I think we realize deep inside that our, our whole thought of what is reality is going to be taken away, changed. Um, but a smart devotee, right, right, that one keeps in mind that uh, uh, death is there. I remember when I was a brahmachari, I had in my, you know, we all had our little lockers like they have at gymnasiums. We had a, I had a locker and I had a little sticker on my locker that said, uh, uh, you could die today and you're not very advanced. That was my, uh, so then I remember uh, our GBC at that time, Jayatirtha Prabhu, he was doing a, an inspection and he opened up my locker and he saw that and he said, was that meant for me? <laughs> yeah. Like that, right? Uh, but we see uh, uh, many, a uh, number of, uh, and it'll, it'll just happen now that we're, you know, we, we were a, a society of 20-year-olds and now we're a society of everything from newborns to almost 80-year-olds. So now we've created, like now ISKCON is, is a more full society. And so we hear almost every day about uh, some devotee leaving this world. So uh, uh, you were saying that was Bhima who said that? Yes. So Bhima was preaching to Yudhishthira. Usually it might be the other way around, right? <laughs> uh, about, the, about that reality. Good. Yes, so, so there are examples in the Vedic literature and we understand from here in this purport that that's what... Uh, so in other words, there was a... Uh, as we're going to hear a lot in this chapter, uh, we're only focusing on one purport that talks about it, but Prabhupada's talking about... No, not Prabhupada. Prithu Maharaj is talking about Varnashram and how a proper society should be run. And he has, as a king an obligation to see that people are following their varnas and their ashrams properly. But it's reciprocal, right? It's not just all the responsibilities on the citizens. The king also, as we're seeing here in this purport, has a responsibility to, at least in general, have basically satisfied citizens. Of course, we can understand you can't fully be satisfied in the material world unless you're engaged in devotional service. And that, of course, that is going to be Prithu Maharaj's main point here in his instructions to the citizens that they should become uh, devotees. It's like an eclipse is happening. 
The room is getting darker and darker. <laughs> yeah. But in this case, it's, it's an auspicious eclipse because it's all in the service of Lord Nishingadev. So any other thoughts on this verse? Yes, Rambaru Matsuchi. Uh, get a microphone. For... As you were talk talking about that, I was just reflecting on Pushta Krishna Maharaj, uh, my godbrother, who is, I don't think he's left his body uh, yet. Not yet, but any but day he's, now. He's very at the near end, and there was a, I don't know if she was a god sister or someone else who had just found out she had cancer as well. And they had many talks about it, and he, he encouraged her that the first, just what you said, when you first find out that you have X amount of time left, you know, two months or a few weeks, it's a shock and the, it's like a terror, a strike of terror that hits your heart. But he said, that's your mind. You know, he encouraged her that if you can somehow embrace that as just your mind and yourself as an eternal spiritual being, and even through death, nothing changes that. Um, so anyway, he was just very encouraging. I was I was really inspired to hear his take on it in his own death process. I'm told he's in very good consciousness. I was yeah. talking to Vaisheshika Prabhu, who was uh -huh. with him a yeah. few days ago. Yeah. And he said he was in extremely Amazing. good consciousness. Yeah. Um, Such an inspiration. And then our dear uh, Parvati Mataji, yep. who is our next-door neighbor for about 20 years uh, in Vrindavan, and it sounds like she maintained her nature to the very end. <laughs> She's just like fearless and telling everybody to get lost and <laughs> like that. And she basically told death, listen, I'm not worried about you, you know. Uh, and she left in very good consciousness, I'm told. And, you know, there's a, there's a story. A com I read, uh, just read Shama Sundar's book two of the Chasing the Rhinos. And there's a... Hold there's it like... A, um, there's yeah. a, a, a pastime of... Prabhupada going to see Dr. Radhakrishnan after so many years of, you know, ranting about him, and he was hoping, finally having this opportunity to meet him in person, that he was going to be able to defeat him. You know, I really had it already, and he sat down on the same couch with him. There's a picture of it in the book, and he's kind of starting in on him, and he realizes that he's probably, I don't know, in his 80, late 80s or something, and he realizes that he really doesn't have any mental capacity to respond or engage at all. He just sat there very morose and depressed. And the only thing he could say to Prabhupada was to uh, please pray for me. That was his only words. And Prabhupada reflected on the in the car ride going home that because he used his mind uh, so sinfully, you know, to, def to f uh, defame Krishna, that now at this moment when he really needs to think of Krishna, mm. he can't. And at the same time, he got the greatest benediction. Yeah, well, there you go. Prabhupada's that's, that's, that's uh, association. Yes. I write it the last, that's true. Good yeah. insight, yeah. But it's, 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 a, it's an interesting balance to, uh, you know, understand that, we, you know, everyone in this room has to die, and we all have to die, and at the same time, you know, to get on with life. I always thought in my retirement I would write a book called uh, Life is Short, But the Days Are Long. And about how, you know, to live in this world, but keep that philosophical point in mind. Like that. Because, you know, you do have to pay the bills and fix the flat tire and do all that stuff while, you know, even though you're going to die. <laughs> and Prabhupada responded to that very anxiety is that we should live as if, this, uh, uh, we should 
live as if as if this were our last day, but make plans as if we're going to live forever, like uh, plans for preaching. So, very nice, very nice. So yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a, in, and of course the, the the easy solution in one sense is just to be engaged in devotional service, because in devotional service you can do so many things, including taking care of uh, life, and at the same time um, be fixed in. Uh, Philosophical bent. Now that Janmamritu Jaravyadhi, that uh, birth, death, disease, and old age, that section of the Gita applies to all spiritualists, whether one's a devotee or an impersonalist. It's said, you know, that list there. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it, it behooves us to keep that in mind. So that, you know, what is it, Elizabeth Kubler Ross? Um, she, she was. She passed away a couple of years ago now, but uh, she was the like uh, expert in the world on death, and she talked wrote about the five stages of death. Do you remember what they were? One is denial, right? One is make a bargain. I think the first one is anger. Anger, that's anger, right. Anger. Then denial, and then gradually turns into acceptance. Acceptance is the last oh, no, one. bargaining. Yeah, bargaining. bargaining right. I think then an acceptance. Yeah. <clears throat> right, like when like Prabhupada talks about bargaining, where the uh, the person said, dear doctor, just give me a few more years. I have big plans to make. <clears throat> and the last one is acceptance. And of course, so for a devotee, that acceptance. So, you know, her process, I've actually seen devotees leaving the world, this world in Vrindavan go through some of those similar steps as she mentions in her books. I think her famous book is On Death and Dying. Yeah. Um, and then when you see, you see the whole... Everything changes when they turn to acceptance and they just, you know, do the, the Dropity program, right? And you just see the whole, the whole physiognomy. You know, everything changes when they actually can get to that stage. I remember, um, who was that devotee? A very tall devotee who was like the first book distributor. Uh, I don't know. First book distributor here in America? No, yeah, in America. Yeah, I can't remember his name now. But um, I remember at one point he uh, he was he, his anger he threw the Krishna book at Bibi Govinda Maharaj, <laughs> but late, but at, but ultimately he uh, left the world in wonderful consciousness. Wow! So, Budi Manta, oh, uh -huh. Budi Manta Prabhu, uh -huh. yeah, he's one of the probably one of the first book distributors yeah, in Iskon, yeah. So, uh, but he left the world, and, but he went through those stages. stages, yeah. All right, so now for something equally upbeat. No, <laughs> no that is upbeat in a way. It's not. King Pritsu was greater than the greatest soul and was therefore worshipable by everyone. He performed many glorious activities in ruling over the surface of the world and was always magnanimous. After achieving such great success, and a reputation which spread throughout the universe, he at last attained the lotus feet of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Now, Sutta Goswami is speaking. Who is Sutta Goswami speaking to? Oh, Sutta, Sutta Goswami. Sages and Naimasaran. And he's saying, Oh, Shonaka, he's addressing Shonaka Rishi, leader of the great sages. After hearing my, so he's, there's like a story within the story within the story. After after hearing Maitreya speak about the various activities of King Prithu, the original king, who was fully qualified, glorified, and widely praised all over the world, 
Vidura, the great devotee, very submissively worshipped Maitreya Rishi and asked him the following questions. Vidura said, My dear Brahmana Maitreya, it is very enlightening to understand that King Prithu was enthroned by the great sages and Brahmanas. All the demigods present, present, presented him with innumerable gifts, and he also expanded his influence upon personally receiving strength from Lord Vishnu. Thus, he greatly developed the earth. So he uh, got so many different gifts, right? So I got a Father's Day gift today. A devotee, these are things that you put on the handle of your suitcase. So that two things that makes it easier, they're soft, and also you can see your suitcase from a mile away. So very, <laughs> a very practical gift from a wonderful Vaishnava. But, uh, and, and with all due respect to the person who gave the gift, uh, it's probably not on the same level as the demigods giving uh, innumerable gifts to Prithu Maharaj. But Prithumaraj didn't have to carry his own suitcase, probably. So you know, so it all it's all it all evens out. Purport says that as will be apparent from the next verse. So we'll, let's read that next verse in a second. Every executive head of state should follow in the footsteps of Maharaj Prithu in ruling over his kingdom, regardless of whether the chief executive is. A, I, 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 I highlighted this just because Prabhupada here is very liberal-minded. Sometimes he'll say, you know, monarchy, monarchy, monarchy. But here he says, regardless of whether the chief executive is a king or president, or whether the government is monarchical or democratic, this process is so perfect that if it is followed, everyone will become happy. And thus it will be very easy for all to execute devotional service to the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And the translation of the next verse is, Prithumaraj was so great in his activities and magnanimous in his method of ruling over all the kings and demigods on the various planets, uh, still, oh, I'm sorry, uh, Maharaj Prithu was so great in his activities and magnanimous in his method of ruling that all the kings and demigods on the various planets still follow in his footsteps. Who is there who will not try to hear about his glorious activities? I wish to hear more and more about Prithu Maharaj because, of activities, because his activities are so pious and auspicious. So the first point that uh, you know, he, he was so magnanimous and he had such a wonderful way of ruling that the kings and even demigods and other planets would still talk about that. Right? So people talk a lot about leaders today, but not necessarily in the same way. Right? Uh, like that. As a matter of fact, it's very, very rare. As uh, a matter of fact, I was reading today some country, I can't remember, was it Nicaragua? There's an election today and like everyone has something against them you know one person you know uh, illegal money laundering another person you know the you know um, I think it was smuggling you know underage people you know <laughs> and these are the candidates for, to to choose from and the previous candidate the previous president or interim president was a comedian so you know it's all a joke right <laughs> I mean sorry bad pun, but um, they weren't on the level of Prithu Maharaj, put it, let's put it that way. As a matter of fact, it's so hard for us to imagine that. But there's another point if you look at this verse. Um, just see how eager the devotees were to hear about another devotee. Right? So that is, that is a test of our Krishna consciousness, isn't it? Uh, where is our taste? 
where do we, what do we like to do? And it's, I, I, you know, I found it's so much harder today because the choice, I remember when we were living in Brindavan, uh, we lived there for a long time, there, there weren't, uh, the only newspapers were Hindi newspapers. I couldn't read Hindi. I didn't have a radio to listen to Voice of America or BBC or something like that. There's no question of television. Uh, and the internet hadn't, been, hadn't come to India yet. So it was actually very easy to come, you know, come back from doing my service at the temple and naturally just pick up a Bhagavatam uh, and, and do that. But now, you know, with this thing, or this thing, there's so many choices, right? Uh, and one has to be actually more, one, one's test of where, one's, where our taste is, is uh, more, um, it's more obvious, right? So one thing we can do is we can try to, I was remember reading one thing that uh, it's, it's easier to change your environment than change yourself. So if we can try to create an environment at our home that limits the distractions, right? Um, uh, that, that can be uh, an interesting uh, thing. One thing that I'm, I, I know this, I think I made, did I mention this before? Where did I mention this? I was in uh, Chicago. And I mentioned, yeah, you don't know what I meant? You, you can't read minds, Rambaru? <laughs> so I got this thing, it's called a Kitchen Safe. And the idea behind it originally, right, is that people would put like sweets in this, in this container and then it locks and you set it for how much time until it opens. And you can't, unless you break it, you can't get in it. You literally can't get in it, right? So uh, I learned this from another devotee who puts his cell phone in this, and he sets it for like 10 in the morning. Well, he's, he's not, uh, doesn't go to work. He's a full-time devotee. He sets it for 10 o'clock so that he can't check his, his phone. He does most of his work by phone. So he can't check his email. He can't check his anything, WhatsApp, anything until he's done fully with his sadhana. Very jumpable. Uh, so, you know, and it, and it really helps him because you change your environment. There's, there's just, there's no temptation because it's not available. So I, I got one of these the other day, and for me, it's also this thing, right? And that doesn't fit inside this thing. So, but I have a workaround. I have a workaround. I, uh, I have a little padlock, and I put this, these two items in my suitcase. And then I lock the suitcase, and I put the keys inside the kitchen safe. Yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, I know it sounds kind of crazy, but, you know, it's just because for me, I'm so tempted to see what's going on in the world or check out the latest YouTube video or whatever, uh, when I really should be chanting Hare Krishna or, you know, reading the Bhagavatam or something like that. I know this looks funny, but it's, it's, it's cold. Uh, I'm wearing this because of the cold uh, on my head. So anyway, the point is that uh, we're, hearing, we're seeing a great example here of uh, Vidura. He has such a taste for Krishna Kata, that he wants to hear, well, I wish to hear more and more. And it's not only about Krishna, it's equally, if not more, about Krishna's devotees. Right? Because uh, the devotees show, they, by their example, we get so inspired. Right? Like we're going we're to have a drama in about uh, two hours from now. And really one of the most inspiring things about this drama is if we focus on Prahlad, that he was such a great, a great devotee. 
right? And uh, like for my, my wife, whenever someone asks, uh, how did you come to in, be interested in Krishna consciousness? She said, uh, she just read the Prabhupada's biography. And she told, she, the way she puts it, she says, that was it. I was sold, you know. Because you see an example of someone who's a uh, devotee. And Krishna says this in the Gita, yad yad acharati shrestas. Right, that uh, we should set, uh, the whole world learns by, by the great example. Because it's one thing to read about what you should do in a book or on a computer these days, but it's another thing to actually see it in action. Right? Yeah. And Srila Prabhupada would often say that he didn't, um, he didn't want us to think that he was so, his example was so unreachable. Right? I, I, I told that story before that uh, he was in New Brindavan and the devotees made this new suite with butter. Uh, powdered sugar, raisins. What am I missing? Powdered milk. Did I say powdered sugar? Powdered milk. Yeah, powdered milk. And uh, he tasted it for the first time, and he said, "It's wow. This is simply wonderful." And then one of the devotees said, "You're Prabhupada. You are simply wonderful." And then, if you listen to the tape carefully, under his breath, he says, "You all become." So he didn't. He wasn't trying to set this unreachable example, uh, but actually he, he was trying to, you know, just like in, um, in Allahabad in 19, 1977, he was already starting to get ill. And it was, anyone's been to UP, Allahabad, UP, in, the, in February, in January? Hace frío. It's very cold. Bahutanda. It's really cold, right? Especially there, if you know Akumba Mela, it's just an open field right by the river. It's not, there's no buildings or anything, right? If anyone's been to Kumamela. Um, and, but still, to set the example, he took a cold bath every morning just to set the example for the other devotees, even though he, obviously he doesn't have to, you know, do that. So, um, but to set the example. So any thoughts on either Prithimaraj as the, right, as the ideal king or on uh, Vidura's desire to hear more and more? Okay, should we continue then? All right, so text 11. The great saint, uh, saintly, the, Prabhupada really uses uh, adjectives here. The great saintly sage, Maitreya, told Vidura, My dear Vidura, King Prithu lived in a tract of land between the two great rivers, Ganga, uh, Ganges, and Jamuna. Because he was very opulent, it appeared that he was enjoying his destined fortune in order to diminish the results of his past pious activities. In the purport, Srila Prabhupada writes, the terms pious and impious are applicable only in reference to the activities of an ordinary living being. But Maharaj Prithu was a directly empowered incarnation of Lord Vishnu. Therefore, he was not subject to the reactions of pious or impious activities. As we have already explained previously, when a living being is specifically empowered by the Supreme Lord to act for a particular purpose, he is called a Shaktivesha avatar. Prithimaraj was not only a Shaktivesha avatar, but also a great devotee. A great devotee is not, a devotee is not subjected to the reactions resulting from past deeds. In the Brahma Sanghita, it is said, karmani nidahati kintu chabhakti bhajam. For devotees, the result of past pious and impious activities 
are nullified by the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So this is one of them, ones that I had done some research on. Let me see if I can find it real quickly. Because um, it was a really good quote here. Um, there's so many. I, I'm thinking of... Um, yeah, here it is. Um, Prabhupada sometimes would give quite graphic examples. So this is about pious and impious activities. Um, he says, this is described in the Shastra as chewing the chewed. Or the same philosophy, there is side of stool is better than that side. So, it keeps the, so he keeps the whole thing, stool. This side, the dry side is better. The moist side, <laughs> wet stool, uh, this is bad. So this is not philosophy. We must not be stool. It must be gold. Wait, that's not the, that wasn't the best one. There was one that was so good. Oh, here we go. Um, he, this is a letter to a professor. In this material world, to say that this is good and this is bad has no value. To us, everything in the material world is bad as it is lacking Krishna consciousness. Just like wet stool and dry stool. Stool is stool, but somebody is saying the wet stool is better than dry stool, or vice versa, usually. What is this good and bad? The top of stool is dry and the bottom is wet, but anyway that you take it, the material world is stool. It must be given up. Therefore, we are trying to get out of the material world and go back home, back to Godhead. So, um, in that sense, of course, it's better to be pious than impious, right? But the point is that... Um, any activities other than those that are actually spiritual, done as bhakti uh, as a service to the Supreme Lord, um, it's not of the highest order. Now, having said that, and that is absolutely true, what I just said, as, always, as is often the case in, in the broad Krishna conscious philosophy, we can look at it from a different angle of vision, right? And we can also look that um, to one... The, that a devotee generally when, um, it tries to be Krishna conscious, and when they're not, they try to act in the mode of goodness, which can be equated to the word pious. Right? Isn't that fair? And uh, rather than the mode of passion, the mode of ignorance, the lower modes, which is very difficult to jump from there, jump uh, from there to transcendence. But in the mode of goodness, uh, it's, it's, it's more possible. So, so from one point of view, yes, we, we just want to do bhakti, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But if we're going to say we're going to fall down from that level, the safety net is the mode of goodness. Right, like a, a, on a trapeze. And the, of course, I think it went out of business out, Barman, Barnum and Bailey. Is that right? They're no longer. Right, but I used to go as a kid uh, to the circus in Madison Square Garden when I was a child uh, every, every year. Um, and uh, some of them actually did it without, but most of them had this safety net, right? So our safety net is, is the mode of goodness, keeping clean, um, uh, taking bath regularly, having just normal, good-hearted uh, rapport with other human beings and things like that. Um, that that's also, you know, um, just like there's different, we're going to talk later on if we get to it today about different kinds of aparad or offenses and the lowest level, but is still an offense, is called jana apara, just offending anyone. Right? So, 
So I, these two points that I'm bringing out, they're not contradictory. I think they're complementary. Um, because on one level, it's just like, yes, you know, pious, I got I want to serve, I'm a Krishna's devotee. I want to serve Krishna. And at the same time, yes, I'm in this world, and when I, you know, talk to my colleague at work, I don't say, Hare Krishna! <laughs> you know, it's not going to necessarily work like that. But we say, how was your weekend, and how's it going, you know, and uh, like that. But I find, um, and for those of us in the workforce, I think probably how they, we see that, that people kind of know there's something different about us, and they start asking, well, you know, what's, what are you into? You know, my boss asked me the other day, you know, this was actually a while ago. Now he knows uh, more about me, but uh, he said, you're into some Buddhist thing, aren't you? <laughs> you know? So any thoughts on this, about pious and impious and uh, mode of goodness? Yes, Andy, uh, microphone for him? We cannot find it. It's Gupta. It's hidden. I think these words like pious, impious, they're kind of not that valuable. I'm glad you gave some examples because hmm. even the mode of goodness in this world is not the same mode of goodness that Krishna is in. Right, it's, that's right. Sattva and Sudha Sattva, so yes. Even our safety net is just really... Uh, a Has Maya, a few holes in it? <laughs> a Maya kind of safety net. Right. right. Uh, Maya infused. So these words of pious, I mean, you focus on them, but then what you, your idea of what you think it means might be Correct. faulty. Yeah. Correct. And we can also try to develop the mode of goodness for Krishna's pleasure. Right? Like keep our house clean. Keep our car clean. You know, um, you know be, uh, be presentable. Right? Prabhupada once said, first dress, then address. Right? Uh, and so, um, so yeah, and we, but we can do that for Krishna's pleasure. Right? Ultimately, yeah. Thank you for that. But yes, pi and also pious and impious. It's a, it's a, um, it's a dichotomy. But it's it's more like a spectrum, right? There's really, really impious. There's a little let you know, you know, telling a lie is not the same as let's say killing a cow, as an example, right? Or 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 another human being, right? Or whatever, right? So there's it's a spectrum also. Because it's in the material world, and the material world is relative, so therefore there's there's a spectrum. Whereas spiritual activities are absolute. But even any yes, and even there, there's what is it best? But what is it great, greater, and greatest, or something like that? Is that what the like good, better, best? <laughs> well, you know the dwarka, matura, dwarka, go yeah, like that, or even the greatest devotees. You know, but still, we wouldn't mind being even like on the bottom of the greatest devotees. That would be fine, right? <laughs> Anything else on piety? Yes, Pru. A microphone? Andy's getting exercise after his trip. Uh, they're also like considered, pious activities are considered like a golden chain and impious, like uh, iron chain. They both bind us. Ah, suffer very and good. Enjoy the results, right? Uh, unless we do them. I mean, obviously, pious right. activities uh, are better, and we should do them in relation to Krishna, right. to not get bound or get unbound from the. Yes, world. and if I was channeling, uh, thank you for that. Did I cut you off? No, no. no, okay. no if I, I was. I was if, thinking that the story of King Riga, you know, he was a very pious king and. 
he donated millions of cows and uh, one time one of the cows wandered from one to the other herd and yes he made a boo-boo boo-boo yeah and he, yeah so yeah but ultimately it worked out for him right yeah it took a little while but it worked out for him yeah uh, if I was channeling uh, Anuttama Prabhu right now, our GVC, I would make the point that uh, uh, as members of Prabhupada's society, and then when we're walking and, and dealing with the world, we're representing him, uh, we should be seen, at, we should, people should not be able to find fault with us. We can't say, uh, oh, I'm, you know, I'm uh, uh, stealing this mango from Safeway in order to offer it to Krishna, but it's okay because it's for Krishna. Right, and then you know your mug shots on the front page of the Washington Post. Hari Krishna is you know steals crate of mangoes. That might not, but you know something like that. So we should be uh, generally exemplary in our in our activities and uh, be careful about thinking we're transcendental too quickly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, microphone, Rambu. Isn't it surreal being in this room with all the, with it so dark? Yeah. <laughs> it, it does feel cooler. I mean, it, yeah. Uh, I don't know if that's... That's because the air conditioner's on my head. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's bouncing off your head. Um, I just, this is, this is an interesting point I read uh, recently in Hari Sari's diary. Mm. And it really... You do a lot of reading, don't you? I, I try. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's, uh, yeah. And it, Prabhupada was walking with him in Calcutta somewhere. And um, there were you know, beggars and homeless people on the road or in the path. And um, he said to Harisari, you know, if you give donations to these beggars, you have to take birth and they have to take birth again to pay you back. So, you know, he was kind of uh, negative about the idea of giving charity. Then a few moments later, and really was probably not even five minutes, Prabhupada leans over to him and says, can, can you give me a few paisa? I want to give it to these beggars. And Hari Sarai is like, you know what? Well, you just told me that if we right. do that, this is a pious activity. But then, and Prabhupada said, but if we don't, our heart, beco heart becomes hardened. And that's really bad for bhakti. <laughs> you know, obviously as a householder, you know, he probably right. did that. But it was really instructive to me to hear that. That we, we may not, you know, do it in terms of a pious activity. But it's true. If you walk by a homeless people and we have so many people... You, you feel like your your heart, you're ignoring the ignorance. Yes. Somehow you get covered by ignorance. So I try to put in my car some fruit or something so you can not just turn away, but then give them right. something. Anyway. We used to do that when we went to Delhi, because in Delhi you'd find a lot of beggars on these. Yeah. We didn't want to give them money because we thought, you know, their pimp, yeah. in, their yeah. pimp, in quotes, will take the money. So we would bring prasadam and give them prasadam. Yeah. At the, yeah. But um, it's, it shows the subtle, you know, it, it's Krishna consciousness in one sense, it's really simple. You chant Hare Krishna <laughs> and you serve the Lord with your heart and your bhakti. And, uh, yet it, when living in this world, distinctions are, um, it, it, it takes some intelligence, you know. So I was trying to find this one quote. Um, Uh, 
One of my favorite quotes in terms of that, because you know, you just uh, another example uh, I, I often tell is uh, Prabhupada. I think I don't know if it was Hari Sorry Prabhu. Someone was with Srila Prabhupada and the sannyasi. I, did, I told the story before. A sannyasi comes in the room, pays obeisances, and Prabhupada says, "You are a sannyasi. You should not stay in any place more than three days. Just travel and preach." And he says, "Yes, Prabhupada." And he leaves the room. And another sannyasi comes and pays obeisance. Prabhupada says, you're a sannyasi. I want you to stay in Chandigarh and be the temple president and not travel. Right? So, you know, what do you do with that, right? Um, and so, uh, this is, there's a quote, one of my favorite quotes. Let me, I, I'm trying to see if I can find the whole thing. Because usually they just quote one sentence of it. But it's from uh, Thoreau or Emerson? I think it's Emerson. You can't read my mind? Come on. What's the matter with Ramru? You're already twice you haven't been able to do it. Yeah. It's not coming up easily. Um, but it goes... Jesus. Why is it? The... Anyway, I will wait for it, but we'll see. It. But it's the first line is, A foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds, endured by little statesmen and philosophers and divines. With consistency, a great soul is nothing, and then I can't see the rest of it, but basically it's saying that to be great, his last line of it is, to be great is to be sometimes misunderstood. Right? And that just to be, you know, you're not great by just being consistent, but rather you're taking a great philosophy and then you're adjusting it according to the time, the place, and the circumstance. You know? Yes, a microphone, Prabhu? <laughs> uh, what is it that that spiritual activities, bhakti yoga, is the hold the mic like that? Yeah, is perfect. the 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 spiritual activities in the material world? But more goodness is still material. Okay, that's a good question. Um, one place, Prabhupada writes that devotional service and the kingdom of God are non-different. Right? I think it's in the Gita, um, because uh, one is in its question of one's consciousness. But we are obviously we're here in the, well we're in the temple room right now, but we're in the material world, right? But we can. Um, we can form activities that are fully spiritual. Um, and it's interesting because it's activities that get us in this mess, you know, karma and things that we do. And it's also activities that get us out of this mess. Some people think that the idea is to just stop activities and then, you, then you're fine. But it's the, the example that's given in the scriptures, in the Shastra, is that if you have a thorn, one of the best ways to get, uh, get rid of the thorn is to take another thorn and get it out. So the thorn of activities got us in this mess, and the thorn of devotional activities can get us out of this mess. Is that all right? Yeah, thank you. Anything else? Okay, here it is. I'll read it. A foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds. This is Ralph Waldo Emerson. Adorned by little statesmen and philosophers and divines. With consistency, a great soul has simply nothing to do. He may as well concern himself with his shadow on the wall. Speak what you think now in hard words, and tomorrow speak what tomorrow thinks in hard words again, though it contradict everything you said today. Ah, 
so you shall be sure to be misunderstood. Is it so bad then to be misunderstood? Pythagoras was misunderstood, and Socrates, and Jesus, and Luther, and Copernicus, and Galileo, and Newton, and every pure and wise spirit that ever took flesh. To be great is to be misunderstood. So of course we are, we, Prabhupada was, and we are meant to be consistent in terms of Siddhanta, in terms of the, the basic understandings of philosophy. But how to apply that, right? Like in one purport in the Chaitanya Charitamrita, Prabhupada says, what can be done in India may not be able to be done in the West, as an example. And you probably know that now, five weeks in India. <laughs> well, he was, in one place, he was talking about austerities. That, that maybe, but this is, of course, you know, that austerity, um, uh, that some of the austerities that are requested of people in, in India might be different than here. But, um, like I was just thinking about this the other day, uh, people sometimes, there's a big discussion in ISKCON about Varnashram, right? Um, but, but I found it interesting when you think about Varnashram, specifically about the, uh, the uh, Varnas, Brahmana, Kachya, Vaishya, and Sudra, it's very interesting that in, in, in the Gita, in the 18th chapter, I think it's verse 41 and 42, um, Krishna only talks about the qualities of a Brahmana and the qualities of a Chatra. He doesn't say, you, know, you should do this kind of yajna, or you should do this, or you should wake up at this, you know, and, and you know, don't walk on the left side of a cow, and you know, <laughs> whatever, you know, all those little details, but just the qualities, sama, dhamma, tapa, socham, you know, cleanliness of mind, cleanliness of heart, etc., yeah, um, etc., et right? Uh, a truthfulness, etc., right? It talks about the qualities. So then we can take those qualities and maybe apply them in different cultures because like in, in India, people know what a Brahmana is, right? So one may be expected to have more of the external, uh, this is a negative connotation, it's not the right word, trappings is the wrong word, but the external manifestations, whereas one may have it differently in the, or as Prabhupada said, we could dress differently in the West when we were distributing his books. I think that, that dress probably wouldn't be necessary in, in, in India, right, uh, to do. So different things, and even different food stuff. Now it's, now it's, everything's available. Now you have Patel groceries everywhere, but it wasn't always like that. And foodstuffs might be different in different parts of the world, right? Yes. Prabhu, the, uh, a microphone for the doctor. Yes, we need to hear your transcendental voice. Yes, I was uh, in. Where was I? I was in Hungary. Yeah, and I'm. Uh, yeah, and I. The other day I was very hungry. It was near Jalakadasi. No, about the dress. Yes. Mahaprabhu, you were saying. I think the dress now, because there has been so much prachar, so much of the Hare Krishna movement has gone all over the world. I think the dress is universally accepted. I think, and you're right. As a matter of fact, it's very good that you say that because many of the devotees now, they, in the old days, we used to go out in Western clothes to sell books and many devotees now go out because, in dhoti, kurta. Because in the olden Sorry. days, it was a lot of Western people that were coming to, yeah. you know, Prabhupada. And then now, it's universally accepted. So, and it's, it has really that's a good point. Although I still say this is one place where the women are so much more lucky than the men. Like if I'm walking down the street with my wife and in, I'm wearing a dhoti, she's wearing a sari, they go up to her and say, oh, what a beautiful sari. You look so elegant. Then they turn to me and say, why are you wearing a bed sheet? <laughs> you know? 
you know, the dhotis just don't make it like saris do, I'm <laughs> afraid to say. <laughs> but, but yes, it's true, and, you know, and things have changed. And India has changed also, right? Uh, I would think that, where, where did your parents grow up? In Mumbai, okay. And what, what was that in like the 30s and 40s or 50s or? 40s. 40s. So I would guess that um, a dhoti was a much more, you would see dhotis a lot more in Mumbai in those days. Is that correct? Oh yeah, even in the office, the yeah. boss would wear a dhoti and come. Yeah. And uh, these days, if you've been to Mumbai, you don't see too much except that ISKCON temples in a few places. It's not in temples, the, the pujaris, right? So it's also changed a lot. India has, has uh, changed a lot. But the point was, the Prabhupada's, uh, the main point was that, according, that we always keep the principles the same, but details can change. If you change the principles, you're in big trouble, right? You're watering down Krishna consciousness. But if you don't adjust details when it's intelligent to do so, you can become irrelevant to the host community that you're trying to share Krishna consciousness with. So it's a, and, and there'll always be difference of opinions about this. In Christianity, there's often, in churches in America, there's often, you know, differences of opinion. Does it have to be an organ? Can you play a guitar? Right? And things like that. Uh, no, that, the, the, the kind of music has been a big controversy in a lot of uh, churches in, in the country. So, so this will always be an issue. But I'm so glad Ramburu uh, Prabhu brought this up, that, uh, <clears throat> about that Prabhupada point, that, uh, and he would adjust things. And, and, and in this one, he was weighing two different applications of the philosophy. And then he chose which one was more significant. Very interesting. Yeah. So I, I find in India prasadam distribution, but Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasati Thakur said that giving charity in the Dham is very, is very appropriate. The holy place. Microphone? If you don't, like he said, you'll have to take birth if you do it again. Right. I guess a pure devotee is prepared to take birth again and again, just to, you know, so he wasn't going to shy away from extending a uh, uh, charity right. act because a pure devotee is willing to take birth millions of times to save people. And I that's think. one way to look at it. Another way to look at it is uh, the first consideration was more of a karmic consideration and the second consideration was more of a bhakti consideration. As we just heard, karmani nida hatikintu cha bhakti bhajam, that bhakti overwhelms that doesn't mean we, we purposely do stupid karmic activities. Well, wasn't there a, a story of the gopis where they, you know, wanted to put Krishna on their in their chest or a dust of, I don't know, you can tell the story. Wasn't there a moment where uh, that was offensive? Well, the headache. Krishna had a headache. Yeah. And uh, so they went, was it Narda? Who went to the gopis and said, uh, you know... Uh, he went to different devotees and they said, well, the cure for Krishna's headache is the dust of the feet of his devotees. And a lot of them were like, no way, you know, I ain't doing that. You know, uh, that's, that's uh, you know, uh, that, what reactions I'll get. And the gopis were like, hey, take as much dust as you want. 
We don't, we don't care if we go to hell, but you know, Krishna's, get, let's get rid of Krishna's headache. Yeah, it's a great story. Yes. There's also. It's on. Um, there's also this other example of Prabhupada gives this heavy class about you should never get divorced, you should always stay married like that. And then right after the class, one devotee comes in and he says that, you know, I think I want to get divorced. And he says, okay. Right. Prabhupada says, okay. Well, and that's. <laughs> and then, he, you know, and then devotees ask, like, why? You know, you just spoke so heavily. And he said, he would do it anyway. So at least I'm saving him, saving his spiritual life, because if he disobeys the orders of spiritual, spiritual master, master, then. Yeah. 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 So that, and then also we see from Prabhupada that he would, you know, when you're sitting on a Vyasasan, you don't have a, so much leeway. You really have to present things, the principles. And then when you're dealing with individuals, it's again time, place, and circumstance, and you're dealing with a human being that's going through stuff. And, you know. Okay, shall we ca carry on? Uh, we are on verse number 11 or 12? 12. 12. Maharaj Prithu was an unrivaled king and possessed the scepter specter for scepter thank you scepter for ruling you can say I lived in a democracy a lot didn't weren't a lot of those things in my life uh, uh, for ruling all the seven islands on the surface of the globe no one could disobey his irrevocable orders but the saintly persons the brahmanas and the descendants of the supreme personality of Godhead the Vaishnavas so there's a few points in this verse in the second paragraph, it says the word akalita indicates that orders by the king could not be disobeyed by anyone in the entire world. Mm -hmm. Such orders, however, were never issued to control saintly persons or the descendants of the Supreme Personality of God at Vishnu. This comes up again a little later in the purport. But the idea is, because there, it, there is a duty of a king, and we're talking about now in Vedic times, to make sure the Brahmins are actually acting like Brahmins. But if they are, they don't need his authority because they have the authority of Shastra. So they're already, they are, it's not that it's anarchy for Brahmanas. They are following authority. But because they're so fixed in following the authority of the scriptures, uh, and the king has also studied the scriptures, right? The two, you know. Uh, so there wasn't that kind of, the point being that um, managerial necessity shouldn't overwhelm spiritual priority. <laughs> That's another way to look at it, right? So, um, you know, the king didn't want to go up to the brahmanas and say, well, you do this and you say this to people because that'll make my job easier, right? He wouldn't do that, right, with that intention. So, so it's not that the brahmins are just, oh, I'm a brahmin, you know, I got one of these threads, I'm a brahmin, I can, you know, nobody can tell me what to do. No, we, you know, they have their spiritual master, they have the scriptures, they have the other sadhus. So it wasn't just anarchy. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then, um, oh, oh yeah, so the next line says, you know, Prithumar, this is, I was thinking of another purpose. Prithumaraj had no control over the Brahmin, Brahmanakula, which refers to the learned scholars in Vedic literature, nor over the Vaishnavas. And then later on it says, from the facts presented in this verse, it appears that people in general should be controlled by a king until they come to the platform of Vaishnavas and Brahmanas, who <coughs> are not under the control of anyone. Brahman is referred to one who knows Brahman, the impersonal feature of the Absolute, and a Vaishnava is one who serves the Supreme Personality of God. So again, it's not that devotees have no authority. They have, 
they have the authority they have authorities it's just that uh, the relationship between the uh, the king or <clears throat> and <clears throat> regular citizens and those who are fixed <clears throat> in bhakti there was a different relationship any thoughts on that okay should we move on once upon a time King Prithu initiated the performance of a very great sacrifice in which great saintly sages, brahmanas, demigods from the higher planetary systems <coughs> and great saintly kings known as Rajarshis all assembled together. In that great assembly, Prithu Maharaj, Maharaj Prithu, first of all worshipped all the respectable visitors according to their respective positions. After this, he stood up in the midst of the assembly and it appeared that the full moon had arisen amongst the stars. Prithumaraj's body was tall and sturdy and his complexion was fair. His arms were full and broad and his eyes as bright as the rising sun. His nose was straight, his face very beautiful, and his personality grave. His teeth were set beautifully in his smiling face. Prabhupada writes that uh, among the four social orders, Brahmins, Chatriyas, Vaishyas, and Shudras, the Chatriyas, both men and women, are generally very beautiful. So here it's important, uh, I'm just p pointing out the point that men and women, uh, according to here, are part of the social orders. So we, you know, um, I guess that's kind of true, at least in the movies. <laughs> right? You watch Ben-Hur or you, uh, <laughs> you know, see Alexander the Great or whatever, you know, they're always picked like the handsomest guy, right? Uh, Charlton Heston in the old days or I don't know, what's that guy's name? Um, anyway, one of the famous movie stars today to play, you know, the, the tough guy. I can't remember his name. Um, what's that? You, yeah, Paul Newman would have been, you know, in the, if, in the last generation, yes, yeah, or somebody like that, yeah. Um, I'll, I'll remember his name, but anyway. Um, but then I thought this was really important, and I had done some research on this, uh, um, which we don't have, but it, in the second paragraph it says, as it is said, the face is the index of the mind. One's mental constitution is exhibited by his facial features. So let me just see if I can find one of the quotes. Because um, it's such a... Uh, Prabhupada quoted this a lot. But here he says, There is an English proverb that says, The face is the index of the mind. If one is angry, his anger is immediately expressed in his face. Similarly, other mental states are reflected by the actions of the gross body. So we can, uh, it's interesting in, in, in communications, it's said that um, the, when you're communicating emotions, only 7% is the words you say, and 38% is the tone of voice, and 55% is the body language. Because the body language really says a lot. And it's really hard to hide, especially when you're angry. Your body often gives that away. Right? And I, or I could notice now, if, I was, if this was a really boring class, I would see, right? Or, or, or they'd be, you know, you'd all be like, right? you know, or, or whatever, right? Because, you know, the, the body, and we, know, we all are body language readers. It's part of life. Now, as a doctor, I'm sure you're, uh, as doctors, both of you know, you're much more attuned to that, Right? But uh, body language just says so much. And we see sometimes the use of body language uh, in, uh, without using words like one time Lord Chaitanya, he, um, Sanatana Goswami, 
had become a renunciate, a sannyasi, um, but someone had gifted him a very, very opulent chudder shawl, right? Very opulent one. And he was wearing it. And Lord Chaitanya didn't approve, but he didn't say anything to him. He just kept looking at it. He just kept looking at the shawl. So Sanatana Goswami, he got the hint. And uh, um, he went to the river and there was this uh, el very elderly man who had a really torn shawl. And Sanatana Goswami said, I'll trade you. And the man said, don't try to make jokes with me. You know, he couldn't because who would do such a thing? And then he finally Sanatana Goswami convinced him that he was uh, sincere. And so they traded and then he went back with the, and Lord Chaitanya was... Very happy. <laughs> or uh, I think it was after Parvati had cursed Chitraketu, uh, and she she was embarrassed, and it says that she just covered her face with her sorry. Literally, she didn't say anything. She said, "Oh, I'm so embarrassed." She just, you know, did like that. So body language is uh, it's a very powerful thing. And here it says that the face is the index of the mind, and so Prabhupada was always very proud of his disciples, he would say that they, they, it was now that they've taken to Krishna consciousness, they've become bright-faced. And he was very pleased with that, you know, because the face really is uh, the index of the mind. Any thoughts on that? Yes, uh, Jiva? Hare Krishna. So, reflecting to that, Srila Prabhupada, when he saw in the newspaper, he was shown the picture of an Australian actress who had become a devotee and like she was working in the kitchen. So those two pictures and Srila Prabhupada immediately commented, oh, she looks so nice as a devotee. Yeah, she is not looking at all beautiful like that actress. That was Jagatarini Mataji, yes. yes. Andy? Yeah, I had a question. <clears throat> Since we're going into it so much. Since we're what? Since we're going into this facial Oh, yeah, okay. So much. How is King Prithu Bolt grave and a smiling face. Do they mean like in the sense of gravity? It's interesting. Gravity? One time uh, someone said that the, there was a picture of Srila Prabhupada and uh, someone's disciple said something like, Prabhupada, you look so sad in this picture. Prabhupada said, no, that is ecstasy. <laughs> or something along those lines. So it's just like the verse, uh, Vaishnavara Kriya Mudra, there's this verse that says it's very difficult to understand the mind of a Vaishnava. Right? Um, and Srila Prabhupada was so transcendental sometimes he would get seeming I, I, I devote, I've had several devotees tell me this sometimes when he really wanted to instruct a disciple he would get very angry right? he would show great anger and you know if you study um, emotional um, emotions in social sciences they talk about how there's a trigger and then you, you know, you get, you, you, your emotions are very high and your ability to reason is very low. And sometimes I say it takes like 15, 20 minutes to calm down. But the devotees noticed that the second after Prabhupada did that, let's say the devotee left him, Prabhupada would just be completely equipoised. That he just exhibited those emotions to benefit that disciple. But it wasn't like the lower, the, the lower, mo for us, Anger is, is a mode of ignorance. It's, a, it's an influence by the lower modes. But for Prabhupada, it was just an exhibit. Uh, it was still his service to his Lord and his Guru Maharaj, but just done in, um, in such a way to benefit someone else. 
But then he just went right back to being equipoised. So Prithu Maharaj, uh, you know, as a great Vaishnava and also as a Shakti avatar. Um, sometimes, and also grave, you know, probably, you know, we're translating things into English, which is always a challenge, right? Or any language. So sometimes grave meant, uh, and I've seen Prabhupada talk about grave as just being you couldn't understand where he was at. Right? You've seen that? Yeah. You just, the depth, yeah. Yeah, a depth, and not necessarily. Right? Is that all right? Yeah, that makes sense. In other words, <clears throat> if the mind is the index of, the, or the face is the index of the mind, the state of uh, a more elevated Of a person, very deep person. You don't understand anyway. So right. you, you don't understand what you're reading. You <laughs> that's right, that's right, that's right. You don't understand what you, you have to, you have to, it's a different language. That's correct. Yeah. And that's why if you think about it, just as an aside, uh, if you're having a really important conversation with someone, probably email is not the best idea. Because you only get, if, if you use those statistics I just used, 7% is the words we choose. Right? So you don't get much of a communication with the words we choose. At least with the telephone call, you also get the, the um, tone of voice, which can indicate a lot. Of course, face-to-face, -face, then you get the whole deal. Because right? on the phone, you know, you can be on the phone and still playing solitaire on your computer, right? Or, or multitasking or lying back, you know, like that. Okay, but it's, it's, a, it's, a, uh, interesting, it's an English proverb that Prabhupada really um, liked to uh, talk about. Okay, so we're on verse 16. God, it still feels like, why are we having class at night? <laughs> <I'm still laughs> the chest of Prit, Maharaj Prithu was very broad. His waist was very thick, and his abdomen, wrinkled by lines of skin, resembled the construction, in construction a leaf of a banyan tree. His navel was coiled and deep. His thighs were of a golden hue, and his instep was arched. The black, slick hair on his head was very fine and curly, and his neck like a conch shell, was decorated with auspicious lines. He wore a very valuable dhoti, and there was a nice wrapper on the upper part of his body. As Maharaj Prithu was being initiated to perform sacrifice, excuse me, he had to leave aside his valuable dress, and therefore his natural body beauty was visible. It was very pleasing to see him put on a black deerskin and wear a ring of kusha grass on his finger, for this increased the natural beauty of his body. It appears that Maharaj Prithu observed all the regulated principles before he performed the sacrifice. Just to encourage the members of the assembly and to enhance their pleasure, King Prithu glanced over them with eyes that seemed like stars in the sky wet with dew. He then spoke to them in a great voice. Maharaj Prithu's speech was very beautiful, full of metaphorical language, clearly understandable and very pleasing to hear. His words were all grave and certain. It appears that when he spoke, he expressed his personal realization of the absolute truth in order to benefit all those who were present. King Prithu said, O gentle members of the assembly, may all good fortune be upon you, all of you today. Yes. May all of you great souls who have come to attend this meeting kindly hear my prayer attentively. A person who is actually inquisitive must present his decision before an assembly of noble souls. King Prithu continued, By the grace of the Supreme Lord, I have been appointed the king of this planet. 
and I carry the, how do I pronounce it? Scepter? Ah, silence. Okay, scepter, thank you. To rule the citizens, protect them from all danger, and give them employment according to their respective positions in the social order established by Vedic injunctions. So that was, I thought that I didn't highlight that, but it's interesting that there was full employment in Vedic times. And so I was, I was just in Hungary at our uh, beautiful farm community called Krishna Valley. Beautiful place. And outside the temple is a village. And about one-third of the village is devotees. But anyway, they have a, the, the, the mayor of the village has a principle that there will be zero unemployment. And there is zero unemployment in that village. So if a person loses their job, he finds them some way to clean the roads or you know, empty the ditches or whatever, and there's no unemployment in that village. I thought that was really cool. <laughs> yeah, and like three devotees are on the um, uh, council. But I think it was the mayor's decision, not that he read you know, the Vedic thing or anything, but the mayor's decision that there will be no unemployment. So, yeah. <laughs> 23. Because, as I just heard today, Prabhupada had another saying, that he, a British saying, that an idle mind is a devil's workshop. Right? So if one is just sitting around and not doing anything all day, uh, it's very sad. And, and it was really sad. I work a lot, I think you know I work a lot with Native Americans, and some of the reservations I visit have 70% unemployment. Very sad situation. So there's a lot of idle minds there for various reasons that we won't go into here. Maharaj, so now Maharaj Prithu says, I think that upon the execution of my duties as king, I shall be able to achieve the desirable objectives described by experts in Vedic knowledge. This destination is certainly achieved by the pleasure of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who is the seer of all destiny. Any king who does not teach his citizens about their respective duties and here it is, in terms of varna and ashram, but who simply extracts tolls and taxes from them is liable to suffer for the impious activities which have been performed by the citizens. In addition to such degradation, the king also loses his own fortune. Therefore, my dear citizens, for the welfare of your king after his death, you should execute your duties properly. He's like saying, please, be good to me. Uh, in terms of your position of Varna and Ashram, and should always think of the Supreme Personality of God within your heart. By doing so, you will protect your own interests and you will bestow mercy upon your king for his welfare after death. 26. I request all the pure-hearted demigods, forefathers, and saintly persons to support my proposal. For after death, the result of an action is equally shared by the, its doers, its directors, and its supporters. 27. My dear, respectable ladies and gentlemen, according to the authoritative statements of Shastra, there must be a supreme authority who is able to award the respective benefits of our present activities. Otherwise, why should there be persons who are unusually beautiful and powerful, both in life and in life after death? So, there's a bunch of things in this purport. So let's talk a little bit about Varnashrama. Prabhupada writes, in the Vishnu Purana, it is said that the entire Varnashrama institution is meant to satisfy the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Uh, 
The rules and regulations set up for the execution of duties of brahmanas, chachis, vaishya, sudras, or brahmacharis, grihasas, vanaprasas, and sannyasis are all meant to satisfy the Supreme Lord. So those are meant for a specific purpose, to satisfy God. At the present moment, although the so-called Brahmins, Chatriyas, Vaishyas, and Sudras have lost their original culture, they claim to be Brahmins, Chatriyas, Vaishyas, and Sudras by birthright. Yet, they have rejected the proposition that such social and spiritual orders are especially meant to worship Lord Vishnu. So, we all know how people in India, and especially outside of India, criticize the caste system. Especially when we talk about Varnashram, especially the Varnas, they don't know much about the ashrams, you know, student life, married life, renounced life, and all that, right? But, we, but the, the thing that every person should know is that Krishna says uh, that it's based on guna and karma, not janma, right? Just because your last name is Chaturvedi, doesn't mean that you get a Brahmin thread or you, you know, that you qualify. You may get one. They're only a one rupee these days. Right? Um, but, it, but whether you qualify for it, that's so Krishna says guna and karma, your activities and your nature, not your janma. And that's what's messed up the, what we call the caste system today in India. That's, what, that's what's messed up things. That's one thing. The other thing is to think that a sudra is no less than a brahmana. And see, everyone is equal on the spiritual level. What is that verse? Yeah, what's the first line? Vidya vinaya sampane, brahmane gavihastini, suni chayeva supakecha, pandita samadarshina. That uh, a pandit, a devotee, should see with equal vision not only Brahmins, Chatris, Vaishya, Sudras, but even animals, because they're all parts and parcels of God. But just for the, simply for the smooth running of the world, <clears throat> for this lifetime, we have a certain nature, a certain inclination. Right? And I was, I was talking to some people, I was on an Indian reservation the other day, and I was talking to some people who were... Um, um, they were, you know, what we would call blue-collar workers, right? They were running heavy machinery. And they, one of them came to me and they said, I would hate to have your job. Right? He said, you spend a lot of time behind one of them computers, don't you? And I said, yeah, I could not stand sitting, you know. So it's just, he, he got, you know, he was talking about Varnashram. <laughs> he said he was actually doing something that he liked to do. But it's not that, you know, Brahmins may be the guides, but on the spiritual level, everyone's equal. And if we're very proud of being a Brahmin or a Chhatri in this lifetime, wait till the next lifetime. <laughs> right? So, but the point is that we have this natural, it's not, it's such, it's something that's just supposed to be so natural. And you see it in society, there are natural people who are intellectuals and are professors and thinkers and things like that. There's naturally people who are administrators. There's naturally people who are business people and uh, agrarian. And there's naturally people who are, um, who are workers. But are they any better? I, I, maybe I mentioned this the last time I was here, uh, last time we spoke, but I, I, so I work in this big office building. It's, it's huge. It takes up two blocks uh, in, in downtown D.C. And there are a lot of people sitting behind their computers. I'm not saying they're all, you know, what, what, what you know. But I tell you that if there was nobody cleaning, taking out the garbage, 
fixing things uh, and, and you know, sweeping and mopping and all that stuff, if in one week, no one could tolerate that building. It would be, a, be the wor it would be like just the worst. It would smell. It would be a mess. Completely dependent on that. So who's better? Who's worse? No, the whole idea is just like the body has a head, has arms, has legs, has a stomach, and they, uh, hopefully they cooperate with each other, <laughs> right? So you need every. This should be cooperation, and no one should be proud of borrowed plumes. Now, does anyone know what a plume is? Yeah, a fancy feather, right? Right? And, you know, if you borrow it and you have to give it back to someone, but you say, oh, I have this fancy plume. Right? So all of our plumes, Jai, Shishi, Gornitai, Sita, Ram, Lakshman, Hanuman, Shishi, all of our plumes, all of whatever opulence we have, whatever ability we have, Krishna says, Parusham Nishu, that he's given that ability. And that ability can also be taken away. As we see with Arjuna at the end of his life, he was this greatest warrior, and then he couldn't defeat some cowherd men because Krishna took it away because it wasn't necessary for him to go back to Godhead. So if, we have, if we're a brilliant person, then we, should, we, we thank Krishna, you've given me this brilliance, right? If we can do something in this world, the ability comes from Krishna. Yeah. Is that all right? I kind of went on a little... Because there was a lot of verses about Varnashram, I thought we'd at least talk about it in this verse. A microphone? You were talking about the, you know, uh, you know how we're spiritually equal, and then there's these bodily differences, and right. it's actually impersonal to not recognize or relate to people who right. they are, where they are, or to engage in what is naturally yours to engage in. Um, there's another danger too in seeing. I mean, we started with that verse, Vinaya, you know, Brahman sees with equal vision. One of the dangers is, too, Prabhupada says, if you see a tiger laying on the path, you don't go up and embrace it. You, you right. respect that this, this, this animal could be dangerous, so you go around the long way. Um, right. And so there are people who have different bodily manifestations, you yep. know, uh, people of the opposite sex or gender, and, um, you know, you, you want to respect where they are, even in their physical manifestation, right. but recognizing that they are also... Uh, spiritual beings. But yes, and, and to point so point out the dangers. Of, yeah. Yeah. It. So we're practical, right? I had a, a professor. I always tell the story that he said it's okay to have your head in the clouds as long as your feet are on the ground. So here's an, here's a, here's a good example. Okay, we want to give Krishna consciousness to everyone, right? We don't make a distinction, you know, woman, man, rich, poor, this or that. But uh, in one place, I won't mention uh, the place, but in one place uh, that's predominantly um, uh, uh, Muslim, uh, they, the devotees um, made, someone became a devotee. And there were practically riots. And they were practically going to burn down the temple. So now in that city, they only, pre they only speak to Hindus. Just because, so even though, we want to speak to everyone. We don't make it the same Muslim, Christian, Jew, you know, right? But at the same time, for practical, for practical purposes, uh, they, they don't uh, disturb the, uh, the Muslim community because it's just uh, wouldn't be wise for practical reasons. So that's another example. So yes, and Prabhupada gives a clear example that we don't go up to a tiger and say, 
you know, we're brothers. We're all have the same, you know, Hari Bol. <laughs> right? You know about that tiger who became a devotee? Right? Yeah, well, he, he, was, he was just about to eat someone, but because he was a devotee, first he said, Sarirada Vijajal, Sendriya Deheka. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's in the 13th canto of the Bhagavatam. <laughs> yeah. uh, going a little further in this purport, the most important point in human civilization is that while one engages in different occupational duties, so that's the Varnas, right? He must try to satisfy the Supreme Lord by the execution of such duties. This is the highest perfection of life. Sanusti tasya dharmasya. Uh, in the example the Prabhupada writes, the vivid example is Arjuna. He was a chatriya. His duty was to fight. And by executing his prescribed duty, he satisfied the Supreme Lord and therefore became perfect. Everyone should follow this principle. So we all have our expertise. We all have our duties in this world. Just our, Arjuna's duty was to fight. Your duty may be to be an IT professional. Right? Or to be a mother. Or to be a student. And so we do that duty. Tasmat Saveshu Kaleshu, Mama We do that duty and we remember Krishna. Right? It's not that we have to change our, uh, you know, be something that we're not. Right? But we, uh, and that's the example of, uh, in, our, in, our, in the Bhagavad Gita. That wasn't, it wasn't exactly that Krishna was just pushing the fighting as much as he was pushing the duty. That was his, he happened to be a chhatriya. That was his duty. So, um, you know. So uh, remember Krishna and work for Montgomery County. Isn't that what you were? Right? Yes. So right or whatever we do <laughs> in life. Yeah. Like that. Remember Krishna and be one of the world's greatest cardiologists. <laughs> And remember Krishna and work for President Trump. No. Yeah. He's a lot of first, yes. But anyway, the idea is that, uh, that that's the point. That, you know, society can run so smoothly. And, um, and the other point about it is, in, yeah, anyway, I think I got my point across. Let's continue because there's more in this purport. Uh, a living entity may engage in any occupational duty, but if he wants to have perfection in his duties, he must satisfy the Supreme Lord. Um, let's see if there's something else I want to talk about here. Oh, I like this. So way down, the different varieties of life and of material existence do not come about by chance and the set... Uh, about by chance and necessity, they are different arrangements made by the Supreme Lord in terms of the pious and impious activities of living entities. By performing pious activities, one can take birth in a good family, in a good nation, one can get a beautiful body, or can become very well educated or rich. We see, therefore, that in different places and in different planets, there are different standards of life, bodily features and educational statuses, all awarded ultimately by the Supreme Personality of Godhead according to pious and impious activities. Varieties of life, therefore, develop not by chance, but by prearrangement. There is a plan, which is already outlined in the Vedic knowledge. And then, skipping a little bit, the theory of chance can best be explained in the Vedic... Now he brings it to devotional activities. 
The theory of chance can best be explained in the Vedic literature by the word agata sukriti, which refers to pious activities performed without the actor's knowledge. By these, uh, but these are also planned. For example, Krishna comes like an ordinary human being. Uh, he comes as a devotee like Lord Chaitanya. He sends his representative, the spiritual master, a pure devotee. So his point is that coming in contact with uh, Krishna consciousness is, um, is unknowingly developing Krishna consciousness. Agyata means unknowing. But what I wanted to do here, and I hope I'm not making too big a jump because we only have a, or we don't have any time. All right, remind me that the next talk we'll talk about uh, Bivala Mangal Thakur and um, the point about, I'll just break it very briefly before uh, the town president kills me. Um, <laughs> sorry, I had to, sorry, I take that back. She doesn't like when I'm saying um, Now I said it again. Uh, That, and I think we all experience this as devotees, right? It's very likely that we, had, we have some sukriti from previous life, some, some contact with bhakti in a previous life. And, and we kind of cruise along that for some time. But we all reach the point where that is pretty much used up. And now our sincerity, our, our yeah, our, our, basically it's our sincerity. With, armed with our sincerity, we have to make further progress. And this is what happened in the life of Bivol Mangal Thakur, and we'll talk more about that next week. So just so you can plan your life, next week there is class. And then I had to make a choice between continuing class or going to my son's wedding. So I chose the wedding. So uh, there is class on the 23rd, but there's no class on the... Uh, 30th and no class on the 7th. Okay, so class next week, then two weeks, chuti, no class, and then after that we continue. Okay? All right, thank you very much. Hare Krishna, all glories to Srila Prabhupada.